It's been almost a week since war broke out between Israel and Hamas. There have been airstrikes on the Gaza Strip, shelling and missiles from both sides, and Israeli troops amassing close to the border. We're also getting a clearer picture of what happened in the original Hamas attacks last Saturday as people share their stories. It all started uh, Saturday morning, around nine o'clock in the morning, we lost connection with my family that lives down south in Kibbutz Niroz. This is the situation. Six members of my family right now are being held in Gaza. Time is rushing. There's a nine-month baby and a three-year-old child, and my aunt has Parkinson's disease. I want them back. We all want our family back. I want to go back to Friday. You know, I want to close my eyes and this is, was all a nightmare. Meanwhile, in Gaza, where electricity, food, and water have been cut off, reporters describe scenes of desperation as injured civilians arrive at a hospital. I see a girl with her teddy bear. More injuries are coming. And as you see, there are no ambulances, only Palestinian civilians helping other civilians. This conflict and these stories have captured the attention of the world, especially that of the United States. U.S. President Joe Biden was quick to declare his country's full support of Israel. So in this moment, we must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. And we will make sure Israel has what it needs to take care of its citizens, defend itself, and respond to this attack. And beneath that U.S. declaration are complex geopolitical factors. What the superpower does and how they show their support will have major implications for the region. Adrian Morrow is The Globe's Washington correspondent. He'll help us understand the role of the United States in the geopolitics of this war. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and this is The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Adrian, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for having me, Manika. Let's just get started by looking at the U.S. response to the attacks in Israel. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Israel on Thursday. He reinforced the U.S.'s support for the country. Uh, and President Biden, of course, has also been very vocal in his support for Israel. Uh, the U.S. is obviously a big global superpower, right? But, but why is U.S. support so important here? So the U.S.'s support to Israel is important for a couple of reasons. One is the, the purely pragmatic um, you know, aspect from Israel's point of view, which is that, that the U.S. Uh, provides a lot of military aid to Israel. So this is something that they, they already do on an ongoing basis, where I think it's about $3 billion a year that is given you know, by the, the U.S. to Israel to help it um, uh, maintain its military. And then on top of that, in, in moments like this, um, in moments when, when Israel is in the middle of a fight, uh, the U.S. Uh, often has stepped up to provide additional aid. Biden did 
it, you know, back in, in 2021 uh, when um, Israel was um, uh, firing uh, rockets at Gaza um, after rocket attacks by, by Hamas. At that point, that the U.S. helped Israel uh, replenish its uh, its Iron Dome defense system. Mm-hmm. The other thing that the U.S. provides to Israel is is a lot of, of moral support. So voting with it, for instance, at the United Nations, you know, essentially uh, affirming that the U.S. is on Israel's side here, that they agree with Israel's, um, you know, right to, to fight back against Hamas. You know, and, and we saw a little bit of the, the reaction to to Biden's speech the other day in Israel, where a lot of people were um, were thanking him for the the sort of uh, full throated support that he uh, that he gave to, to Israel in his speech. Okay, so there's a moral support aspect to it, but also just that very tangible uh, money for for aid to Israel. So you said three billion dollars in military aid. That's of course that's not insignificant, right? So so that's you know what Israel gets from the U.S. What about the other way around, though, Adrian? Why is Israel such an important ally for the U.S.? A couple of reasons. I mean, one is uh, is certainly historic, is the sense that after the Second World War, the U.S. has has always supported uh, you know Israel as a, a protective sort of homeland for for Jewish people, um, and it's kind of the um, the insurance that something like the Holocaust is is not going to happen again. For seventy five years, Israel has stood as the ultimate guarantor of the security of Jewish people around the world, so that the atrocities of the past could never happen again. Um, and Biden kind of alluded to this in, in uh, his speech the other day, where he talked about, um, you know, meeting with Golda Meir when he was uh, a young senator. That was the previous uh, prime minister of Israel. Yeah, that's right. Speaking with, with Golda Meir, who was the prime minister of Israel in the, in the 70s during the Yom Kippur War. She leaned over and whispered to me. She said, don't worry, Senator Biden. We have a secret weapon here in Israel. We have no place else to go. And, and Biden kind of, uh, you know, reinforced that idea that, that this is, you know, uh, a homeland for the Jewish people is is a way of uh, of ensuring that there's a, a refuge um, so that, you know, Jewish people have a safe place to go where uh, where they're not going to face the kind of, you know, pogroms and, and anti-Semitism that, um, you know, that they faced mm-hmm. for, for thousands of years. We'll make sure the Jewish and democratic state of Israel can defend itself today, tomorrow, as we always have. Um, part of it is also you know, Israel's the, the most consistently democratic country in, in the Middle East, you know, the, the country in the Middle East that most, um, you know, champions kind of Western values or, or Western ideas of, of liberal democracy. And so that the U.S. sort of sees Israel as a, a key ally in that region of the world. Um, and, and having that kind of relationship with Israel gives the U.S. Mm-hmm. kind of a, an entry point um, into the Middle East. Yeah. And and of course, that has been complicated a bit by Netanyahu's controversial attempts to recently overhaul the judiciary uh, in Israel. Uh, So we know that U.S. President Joe Biden uh, spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on the day of the attack. They had a call and they've also spoken a lot since. So what did the U.S. do in the immediate days, Adrian, after this war has broken out? You know, he said basically that he told Netanyahu, whatever Israel needs, we will give to you. And, and, then, and then he kind of made that more tangible, I think, about a day later by, by announcing uh, sort of the first transfer of military aid, basically just using his presidential power to appropriate um, some of the things that, that Israel is going to want um, in terms of ammunition and, and replenishing their, their missile defense system. Um, and then he's also said that he's going to go to Congress um, at some point. Unclear exactly what he's going to ask for from Congress, but he's made it clear that he, that he wants Congress to come together um, and pass some sort of additional aid package. 
Okay, so that's military aid. Have they done anything but their actual military, though? Yes, that's the, the other thing that he's uh, that he's done is he sent an aircraft carrier um, and a bunch of other warships. Apparently, they're they're looking at sending another aircraft carrier um, as well as reinforcing some of their warplanes and military bases in the region. He's basically said basically framed this as as deterrence. The notion that that one of the imperatives for Biden is not to have Hezbollah or Iran uh, get involved in in the war and and have the war um, you know grow larger. And what's Biden been doing, I guess, on the diplomatic front? So this we've been talking about his in relationship with Israel, but he's also been talking to other other leaders as well, right? Yeah, he rallied a number of European leaders, uh, France, Italy, Germany and the UK to also basically put out a joint statement um, standing with Israel. And so it's it's sort of part of, I think, how Biden you know sees his role as president of the United States is not just to support American allies, but to try to organize other allies to support his allies. It's what he's done, you know, most on the largest scale of Ukraine in, in kind of leading the, the Western response to, to Russia's invasion. Hmm. Let me also ask you about the domestic response within the U.S. then, Adrian. What, is, what has been the response to Biden's support of Israel? Biden has had near universal support for his support of Israel. There's generally a political consensus among most Americans to support Israel. Um, both Democrats and Republicans tend to be pretty supportive of the government of Israel. Even people who tend not to agree with Joe Biden on most other issues, such as the religious right, tend to be supporters of Israel. You know, on the left of the Democratic Party, um, there tend to be uh, some people who are, are more sympathetic to the Palestinians. And we've seen a couple of, uh, of statements, uh, either from Rashida Tlaib, which um, uh, explicitly referred to Israel as an apartheid state. You know, we've seen other other comments from uh, from Bernie Sanders, which um, I don't believe quite went that far, um, but which which basically talked about both the um, the horror of the terror attack on on Israel by Hamas, um, as well as the, um, the the humanitarian situation in in Gaza um, and how how badly you know things have, have been for uh, for people living in in Gaza. Um, there's been a little bit more equivocation on, on the left of the Democratic Party over this kind of full-throated support of Israel. But for the most part, I mean, you've really had basically full support so far within the U.S. for what, what Biden is saying and doing. Hmm. Yeah. And when we're talking about, you know, the U.S. giving more than $3 billion in aid, so the, there is there is a broad kind of support there for that kind of, kind of money. Uh, I also wonder about the other side of that, though, Adrian. Does the U.S. provide any aid to the Palestinian people as well? Yeah, it does. So um, it provides between uh, 2021 and 2024, there's about $500 million worth of, of U.S. aid that's slotted to, to go to the Palestinians. Um, and it's kind of a variety of different things. Um, a lot of it is, is supporting basic humanitarian things, so food aid, um, water supplies and things like that. Uh, some of it is more towards civil society, so trying to fund nonprofits, trying to fund um, business development for, for people trying to set up uh, businesses in, um, in Palestinian territories. And, and so far, I've, I checked with both um, the State Department and, and USAID, and they both say that there are no plans to um, cut that aid off. They're not considering you know, freezing that aid um, or anything like that. They basically say that their, their aid goes through, um, you know, they say trusted partners, um, goes in some cases through the Israeli government to the Palestinians. Um, and so they don't seem to be concerned that that it's going to be you know misappropriated by by Hamas or or by other other terror groups, um, which is which is in stark contrast to some European countries, right? That have either suspended or actually reconsidered their own aid to to Gaza and the West Bank. Yeah, that's right. There was a whole flap at the European Union a couple of days ago where so Austria has um, has suspended its aid. Germany is is considering suspending its aid. At the European Union, there was some discussion of, of reconsidering the aid, and then other officials at the European Union came out and said, no, we're not actually going to do that. So there's a bit of a sort of back and forth at the, at the EU over, over that question. But, but so far on the U.S. side, um, you know, they seem to be confident that their aid is actually being used for humanitarian purposes. And so far, the indications it's going to continue. 
We'll be right back. Okay, so Adrian, let's get into the the wider geopolitical context now. So the reality is there's there's a lot of different interests here. Uh, so what would you say are the big factors that President Biden is weighing at this particular moment? So I'd say there's there's four. I mean, one is his support and the U.S.'s support of Israel and 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 that alliance. Um, you know, along with sort of Biden's desire to be engaged in the world and to kind of uh, be at the forefront when when there are sort of big issues that that he feels are at stake geopolitically. Mm-hmm. Number two is um, is the desire desire not to see this conflict broaden throughout the region and and particularly not for Iran not to get involved. The third is uh, the U.S. hostages who are among the um, the, the people who were, were kidnapped by Hamas and are being held hostage in uh, in Gaza at the moment. And the fourth is is the humanitarian situation in Gaza, I'd say, is, is the other sort of you know big consideration that that's probably going to weigh at some point on the U.S. response. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to talk about all four of those then. Uh, I want to actually start with the hostages, though, because this is really forefront in a lot of people's minds, right? So uh, do do we know how many Americans are being held hostage in Gaza? Not exactly. I mean, the... the Numbers from the U.S. government have, have fluctuated um, for obvious reasons as they confirm whether or not you know people are accounted for. But they say it's about 20 Americans who are unaccounted for in Israel at the moment. For Biden, of course, he's and he said that this is you know there's no higher priority for him than the safety of uh, of Americans who've been been taken hostage, and so that's going to be a big um, a big factor for him is figuring out how to resolve this. We know that that they've dispatched you know experts, including special forces, to Israel, American special forces, to try to figure out how they're going to get the hostages back. It's unclear whether this takes the form of negotiations. You know whether it's a matter of Israel releasing Palestinian prisoners in exchange for Hamas um, releasing Israeli and American prisoners, or whether they're actually looking at some sort of um, U.S. military intervention. You know uh, whether it's a commando operation or something like that to try to rescue the hostages. Um, but the stakes are, are quite high. I mean for you know, Biden is probably thinking at least a little bit about Jimmy Carter in, in 1979 when um, there were American hostages held at the uh, the U.S. Embassy in Tehran um, for over a year. And uh, and Carter did launch a military operation to try to get them out that, that failed and resulted in, um, in American soldiers dying. You know, that that's sort of in some ways the kind of... Um, most immediate interest for for Americans is the fact that they want to protect their citizens and they have to figure out, you know, how they're going to do that. Um, And by the way, I mean, Hamas has threatened to start executing hostages. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's something that's got to be weighing very heavily on Biden is is what happens when Hamas executes hostages. And if they start releasing, um, you know, video or publicizing that, that this is what they're doing, you know, what that looks like. Yeah, for sure. And and we talked about, you know, 20 potential American hostages. The numbers are a little bit difficult because we, we don't really have final numbers, but there's it sounds like there's over 100 hostages being held right now. So there, there's a lot of people that have to be taken into consideration here. Uh, OK, I, I want to ask you about uh, the other point you were raising about support for Israel and, and American influence as well uh, geopolitically. So w- what about Biden's foreign policy ambitions and, and I guess how they play into this war between Israel and Hamas? Biden is somebody who deeply believes in the U.S.'s alliances and he he, he firmly believes that the U.S. Um, has to have the back of, of allies, um, and particularly allies that it sees as advancing its values around the world. And Biden clearly sees Israel in that light. It explains why when, when the invasion of Ukraine happened, Biden has been, you know, sort of from the start, uh, fully behind Ukraine and has, you know, repeatedly sent, you know, tons of military hardware, military aid to Ukraine. And so and so I think that's, that's motivating his decision here to sort of do for Israel, um, you know, what he's done for Ukraine in supporting them militarily and giving them aid, um, as well as trying to rally other countries to, to back them. 
Yeah. And another thing we've been talking about, though, when we're talking about the foreign policy side of this is is the fact that the U.S. has been working with Saudi Arabia to try to get a deal done. Uh, and that would also impact relations with with Israel. Uh, can, can you tell us, Adrian, what was that deal and, and where does it stand now after this situation? Yeah, I mean, that deal at this point seems to have been put on ice, if not to have been abandoned. But Biden, before, you know, before all this happened, was was working on a deal where Saudi Arabia would normalize uh, relations with, with Israel, would recognize Israel's existence, you know, start up normal diplomatic relations. Um, and in exchange, uh, the U.S. would um, would potentially give security guarantees uh, to Saudi, would you know, potentially help them with a, a civilian nuclear program, um, and then Israel would make some sort of concessions to the to the Palestinians. It was always going to be a complicated deal to pull off, um, not least of all because of that last part, because Netanyahu runs a government that does not want to make any concessions to the Palestinians. Um, and it was a bit of a follow-on to, to Donald Trump's uh, policy in the Middle East, where he had, had brokered uh, a deal or uh, son-in-law had brokered uh, a normalization deal um, between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. The Abraham Accords, I believe. Yeah, the Abraham Accords, that's right, between Israel, um, the United Arab Emirates, and, and Bahrain. And and so Biden sort of wanted to do a similar deal um, with Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudi Arabia, of course, is a huge regional rival to Iran. And so that was partly what, what Saudi was going to get out of this, was potentially a security guarantee from, from the U.S. that might be helpful to Saudi in its sort of, you know, competition with, with Iran. Yeah. Okay, you also mentioned escalation, Adrian. So uh, without getting too alarmist or hypothetical, uh, what are the concerns, though, about how this could spiral into a wider conflict? You know, Iran has certainly, um, you know, supported Hamas and and also supports um, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon. And so the U.S.'s concern is that Iran or Hezbollah joins the conflict and that this becomes a, a wider regional war between um, Israel and Iran um, or even between um, Israel and Hezbollah. And, and the U.S. wants to wants to prevent um, anything like that from from happening. There were also questions kind of early on about, you know, Iran's potential involvement in, in, in working with Hamas. What has the U.S. said about that? So the U.S. has essentially said that has not definitively ruled out um, Iran being directly involved in, in planning or, or, uh, or ordering the attacks. But they said that there's no evidence that that, that actually happened. And I think that language is also aimed at turning the temperature down and essentially trying to prevent, you know, prevent the conflict from spreading. Iran has actually had similar messaging where um, Khamenei, um, uh, Iran's supreme leader, has repeatedly denied that his government was involved in planning or coordinating or ordering the attacks, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm sure that hearing that kind of uh, those kind of words from from Khamenei, whether you believe them or not, is something that Biden probably wants to hear because he probably wants to see that kind of diplomatic signal that Iran is not trying to get involved. Hmm. OK, and the last factor that you mentioned, Adrian, was the humanitarian crisis in Gaza. So walk us through this. What are we seeing there? So. Gaza has had a um, a blockade, um, you know, for the last sixteen years uh, from Israel. Um, in terms of, it's difficult for people or supplies to get in and out, and so they've had a um, a lot of sort of humanitarian problems on, you know, everything from from water to to food in recent years. Since um, Hamas's terror attacks, Israel has announced that it's it's tightening the blockade, you know, cutting off electricity, cutting off water, cutting off, you know, food uh, supplies in, into Gaza. Um, Which is a very, that's a very scary situation for a lot of people, right? When you're cutting off water and food, th- I mean, those are essentials. Yeah, absolutely. It's about 2.5 million people who live in a, um, a territory that's about the same size as the island of Montreal. Uh, Gaza health authorities have said about 900 people have been killed in the airstrikes, you know, more than 200 of those children. Mm-hmm. And, and we've heard, you know, reports of, of aid workers, you know, getting killed, getting killed in the crossfire as well. And this this humanitarian, you know, crisis that already exists in Gaza um, is presumably going to going to get worse, you know, if there's an invasion. 
you know, there's been some talk on the U.S. side of, of trying to set up humanitarian corridors through Egypt for people to leave Gaza, but it's unclear at this point whether that would just be, um, you know, foreign nationals and American citizens who are in Gaza who would then would have an opportunity to leave, um, you know, before an Israeli invasion, uh, or whether they would actually give the opportunity to all the residents of Gaza, you know, to leave. You know, and we've seen a couple of mentions from Biden of, you um, the need to uh, respect the, the, the rules of war and, and that sort of and, and an indication that he believes that Israel is going to do that. But aside from that, we haven't really seen a lot of talk from Biden um, kind of specifically about the situation that that Palestinian civilians find themselves in in Gaza and to what extent you know, he will or, or, or will not sort of try to figure out a solution or, or something to to kind of mitigate the, the humanitarian disaster in Gaza. Yeah. Uh, just lastly here, Adrian, I mean, this is a this is quite daunting geopolitical math that the, the U.S. has to do here, right? All these calculations that they're trying to balance. Uh, how how likely is it that the U.S. will get this stuff right? Biden tends to be a fairly cautious president. You know, after the kind of disaster that happened in Afghanistan, where you know the U.S. arguably didn't back a U.S. ally at the time, you know the Afghan's government at the time, and were subjected to these horrific scenes of, of people trying to flee from from Kabul airport, I think Biden mm-hmm. would want to avoid something like that, you know, from, from happening again, from being seen as not supporting a U.S. ally. And so I can't see Biden's sort of support for Israel uh, for Israel wavering. Adrian, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you, Manika. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White, Cheryl Sutherland, and Rachel Levy-McLaughlin. David Crosby edits the show. Adrian Chung is our senior producer, and Angela Pachenza is our executive editor. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.